Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you download our free Living Truth app. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah chapter 17 called The Oracle Concerning Damascus. Okay, so Isaiah 17 tonight, Isaiah 17. We've been looking at many oracles, and the oracles we've talked about are heavy burdens on the prophet's heart, um, usually directed toward either Israel or a surrounding nation. And in this case, the oracle is directed towards Damascus. So follow with me. In Isaiah 17, 1, the oracle concerning, if you have a New King James, it says the burden, because it's a heavy message, again, from the prophet to that people group. The oracle concerning Damascus, behold, Damascus is about to be removed from being a city, and it will become a fallen ruin. Now, for for you note-takers, Damascus was the capital city of Syria, also known synonymously as Aram, located on the northeast uh, end of the Mount of Hermon, uh, strategic uh, trade routes between Mesopotamia, Egypt, and Arabia. These people were enemies of Israel from the time of David. You can reference 2 Samuel 8, 5, 1 Kings twenty two thirty one. The city that is about to be removed or to fall was the alternate object of faith, if you will, from the northern tribe. The northern tribe knew that Assyria was rising as a world empire, and rather than them looking to God and the leadership looking to God, they looked to another nation to help them. And in this case, they looked to Syria, up to the north of Israel, to the northern tribes, and they said, we're going to form an alliance with you guys because we want to be protected from the Assyrian invasion and the king. You remember that even the king of Judah was given a... uh, a blank check to ask God for assistance, but even he would not ask of God. But the interesting thing is that Damascus, the capital of of Syria, is going to fall. As a matter of fact, it's going to be removed, verse one, from being a city, and it will become a fallen ruin. And the problem when you go to alternate solutions outside of God is that those things can easily fall as well. So you put your eggs in that basket. You say, the way that we will resolve this problem is we will lean on this solution. And right now, a big one in the nation, of course, is our economy. So there's uh, arguments about the debt ceiling, and there's arguments about this and that and who and what and where. But the nation has a uh, uh, continual, seemingly one issue after the other where we don't really ask about root causes. We try to put band-aids on things. Well, if we raise the debt ceiling, if we do this, if we, if we, if we. And at some point, the nation has to begin to ask the question, are these signs of a deeper problem? Have we looked to man's solutions, and this is the case for Israel, are we looking to other nations to rescue us from an invading army that looks terrifyingly strong? Or are we looking to God? Now, it doesn't mean that when you have something coming at you, you do nothing. God doesn't steer, it's been said, a parked car. So you actively wait on the Lord. Amen? When you're waiting on the Lord for an answer to prayer, or maybe you need a job, you know, you don't sit there and watch bad daytime television and just hope that someone's going to call you. 
you actively wait upon the Lord, but you realize that ultimately the solution is going to come from the Lord. Sometimes we like to say we push on doors to see which door God will open, but we are always cognizant of the fact that we want him to open the right door. As a matter of fact, on the positive end, I could have three potential doors uh, that I could walk through. Which I should walk through is where I need wisdom. And if we lack wisdom, we should ask God. And so God said, ask me. No, I don't want to ask you, Lord. Ask me. So the Lord gives us an open um, doorway to the throne of grace that we might receive help in our time of need. But rather than going to God, they went to Damascus. And God said, okay, well, that one that you're going to lean on, they're about to fall. So what looks so promising that you could find a solution over here, that solution's not going to last because God can just take that out of the equation as well. And you think, oh, I'll put my eggs in. No, you won't. See, the issue is whether or not you will lean on God and not on your own understanding. The cities of Aurora, verse 2, about 14 miles geographically east of the Dead Sea on the Arnon River, they mark the southern boundary of Syria's control, are forsaken. So again, another component of the Syrian empire. They will be for flocks to lie down in, and there will be no one to frighten them. The idea here is that this city is also going to fall, and it's on the border, so that which protects the, the nation that you're leaning on, Israel, and they are going to be ruined. Specifically, they are going to be forsaken. They will no longer be inhabited by people. They are not your solution at all. Three, the fortified city or fortress, New King James, will disappear from Ephraim. Now, remember, there was a Syro-Ephraimite alliance That's a big term that scholars use, but all it means is that Syria uh, partnered with Ephraim. Ephraim was the capital of Samaria, and that was the northern representation of the tribes. So they formed an alliance. But God says not only is Syria going to fall, but Ephraim, the capital there, is also going to fall, the capital of Samaria in northern Israel. It will disappear from Ephraim. And notice that it's called, if you have a New King James, it's a fortress or New American Standard, a fortified city. So something that was intentionally built to look strong, something that looked impenetrable, something that looked like, you know what, it's going to last. This is something that I can count on. This is a fortified city. It's a fortress, right? And God says, no, that fortified city will disappear from Ephraim and sovereignty, middle of three, from Damascus and the remnant of Aram or Syria, they will be like the glory of the sons of Israel, declares the Lord of hosts. Now, when you see a phrase like that, they will be, you see negative language, they're going to disappear, sovereignty uh, will be uh, taken from them, and then you see, and they will be like the glory of the sons of Israel. Let me ask you a question. What is the glory of the sons of Israel? Well, there's two possibilities. One, the glory of the sons of Israel is Almighty God, Because he's the one that brings the glory to the nation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, right? And so we could say, well, the reason that this place is glorious, people, you know, traveling from other nations sometimes will come into another nation and they'll say, this is a glorious place. What makes this place tick? And we would say, well, in the case of a nation whose God is the Lord, it's the glory of the Lord. It's the glory of the law of the Lord. It's the glory of the grace of God. It's the dependence of the people. It's the humility. It's, the, it's that which branches out from the root of belief. But when a nation doesn't have that, 
It can be a very dark place. We often associate glory with light. Glory is the manifest presence of God. Glory is one uh, extension of his holiness. It's the, uh, it's the heaviness, if you will. It's the expressed holiness of God. His glory. The heavens, what? Declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands, right? In the book of Isaiah, it says that the angels sing an antiphonal praise, uh, one responding, if you will, to the other. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is what? Full of his glory. So the glory of God is the expression of the holiness of God. It is God reflected in creation. It is God reflected in that which he touches in the world. We could say that place is filled with glory. What do we mean by that? We don't mean that that place is specifically holy, but we mean that God has in some sense invaded it so that his light has come into the world uh, or come into that specific uh, context. And in the case of Israel, what made their nation glorious was the presence of the Holy One. That's what made them unique. That's what set them apart as special. If there's anything glorious in my life, it's because the Holy One has invaded that aspect of my life. His light has shone in it, and I'm being transformed from glory to glory because of the grace of Almighty God in my life. Well, they will be like the glory of the sons of Israel. Some people see a positive. Maybe there'll be a remnant, even in a uh, believing remnant in Damascus. Uh, but you'll see in verse four that I think we have the answer because it will come about in that day that the glory of Jacob, and you're gonna see the phrase in that day, I think at least three times in our chapter. It will come about in that day that the glory of Jacob will what? It will fade. Glory fades? Yes. The glory of Jacob will fade, notice, and the fatness of his flesh will become lean. Now, I wrote in my notes, why does it say that they will be like the glory of the sons of Israel? The next verse answers the question that glory will fade. Faded glory. I think that's the name of some genes, isn't it? All that made them special which was their special relationship to God and its fruit is no more. It has faded. He was their deliverer. He was their refuge. He was their provider. But they pushed him away. And with pushing him away, his glory left. The glory departed. Ichabod, it's gone. Why? Not because God did not want to reside there. Not because God did not not want to bless the people with his manifest presence. But the people said, we don't want you. Or we, wanna, we want you this way. We're, we're going to define what you do and who you are. And at some point, the glory, remember in the book of Ezekiel, and even when Jesus left the temple, he said, your house is left to you desolate. And apparently, biblically, there's a time that God says, I will shine my light on a people group. In this case, the glory of Jacob. Jacob is the name of Israel, it will fade. Isn't that a sad thought? That what was once glorious can, can fade? And when you think of things fading, that's a, it's a strong picture because you can sometimes, have you ever done this before? You, you go to clean your carpet after many years 
right? And you've had this piece of furniture covering a part of the carpet, and then you realize how faded that carpet is because you move and that that furniture's been protecting it, and then you say, that was the color originally that happened on that thing, right? And then you try to get it back with the carpet cleaner. It's just not happening. Why? It's faded. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. We'd love to see who's listening. So please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. He was their deliverer. He was their refuge. He was their provider. But they pushed him away. And with pushing him away, his glory left. The glory departed. Ichabod, it's gone. Why? Not because God did not want to reside there. Not because God did did not want to bless the people with his manifest presence. But the people said, we don't want you. Or we, wanna, we want you this way. We're, we're going to define what you do and who you are. And at some point, the glory, remember in the book of Ezekiel, and even when Jesus left the temple, he said, your house is left to you desolate. And apparently, biblically, there's a time that God says, I will shine my light on a people group. In this case, the glory of Jacob. Jacob is the name of Israel. It will fade. Isn't that a sad thought? That what was once glorious can, can fade? And when you think of things fading, that's a, it's a strong picture because you can sometimes, have you ever done this before? You, you go to clean your carpet after many years, right? And you've had this piece of furniture covering a part of the carpet and then you realize how faded that carpet is because you move and that that furniture's been protecting it, and then you say, that was the color originally that happened on that thing, right? And then you try to get it back with the carpet cleaner, it's just not happening. Why? It's faded. Man chases after vain glory, and man's glory fades when he tries to manufacture it. See, man is about his glory. And so man wants his glory in stadiums and halls, he wants applause. He wants to win the contest. He wants to get the award. But man's glory fades. It's fleeting. No matter what record you set, no matter how well you do at whatever it is you do, Russ will come to your trophy. You will be forgotten. You may be a famous actor in a TV show at one point in your life, and 10 years later, people can't even remember who you were. That's man's glory. Man's glory flees away. There's no way to really hold on to it. And the glory of Jacob will fade because Jacob pushed God away and exchanged him for idols. Go to Romans 1 for a second. Romans 1. Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 18 with me. The world is seemingly in different ways, always heading in this direction. Here's what it says. It says, the wrath of God, Romans 1.18, 
is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Romans 1.19. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, Romans 1.20, his, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been what? Clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God. Think of Israel here. Or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged, what your Bible say? The glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. See, when one exchanges the glory of God for a faded glory, here's what they get. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity that their bodies might be dishonored among them. For they exchange, there's a, an exchange that one can make. They exchange the truth of God or the glory of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Remember that because we're going to have discussion in the passage about Israel's maker who is blessed forever, amen. And then you'll watch a progression. Whenever a people group exchanges the glory of God, God bless you and your family, John, for faded glory or the glory of man, here's what they get by progression. When God gives them over, for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. We're gonna watch this happen in our chapter with the Asherah and the Baal worship. For their women exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural. In the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Now look at this. And just as they did not see fit, they made a decision to acknowledge God any longer. God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. There is a slippery slope when a people... A group, a nation pushes God and the manifest holiness of God, which is his glory, out of their midst. And what they get is a progression where they start to worship the idol, the thing created rather than the creator, and it moves them into behavior that is not in keeping with the glory of God. Are you with me? It moves them into behavior, which I can't preach about in Canada right now. Because if I was over the border right now, they would have previewed, apparently, my sermon manuscript so that I wouldn't say anything offensive to the homosexual community. But I will say this to you. My job is not, number one, to be politically correct, number two, to please man, but my role also is not to, to beat up any specific group of people. I'm not trying to isolate a specific sin, but what I did do is just read you the Bible, and the Bible says that when a people group decides to kick God out of what they do, both spiritually and morally, they inevitably hit a place 
where they will start to justify behavior that is simply unnatural. It is not, and God, by the way, created the natural order. I mean, if you look at the body, if you look at the way God made parts, it's kind of duh, is it not? Now, what we tend to do sometimes in the church is we isolate a certain sin and we say, oh, that's horrible, but my sin is you know, not that bad. But see, what's happened is there's been, go back to Isaiah, there's been an intensity that's come to the debate. Not because, um, not because sin isn't sin and because adultery is just as bad as homosexuality. But because we, we now have a sin that it's being said can be naturalized and normalized and we say it's okay and then we have our fill in the blank because of this, this, and this. And at some point we have to say, but, but for a nation to decide those kinds of questions, there has to be a moral framework that you work from. It can't be just the decision of what we perceive to be the majority it can't just be the decision of this person or that group or whoever's the squeakiest wheel or the loudest voice. There has to be a moral compass or framework that we say, no, we work from here. That's what Israel was supposed to do. They're supposed to say all moral decisions, all spiritual decisions in this nation, all moral decisions in this nation will come from the bedrock of truth and we will then fill in the blanks on what may be gray from there. But we will always start with the foundation of what God has revealed in his word. But we don't do that anymore. Now we say no. It's more subjective. It's more up to opinion polls. How do people feel about this? And then I'll make my platform in keeping with how people feel. Well, that's just twisted wrong, unbiblical logic. And you see where it's gotten us now. Because where is it going to stop? Because when the next issue comes along, then the next group's going to say, but wait a minute, we decided this this way, so we'll do the next thing. And then it'll be the next thing, and then the next thing. See, it is a slippery slope. It's not, just not about one issue. But the one issue, in essence, opens Pandora's box to a myriad of other issues. You've got to have a foundation. You've got to say, look, the buck stops here. Do we believe this or do we not? You've been listening to The Oracle Concerning Damascus, Part 1 on Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 17. And don't forget, if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on the Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Walkin' Truth is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and we would love to connect with you. It's great to meet our listeners, and not everyone can visit the church here in Corona, California, although we recommend that you do. But either way, please connect with Walkin' Truth on social media. Now here's Pastor Michael. You know, sometimes you're reading the Bible and you might say, what does an oracle against Damascus have to do with me? Well, you know, not every part of the Bible has direct application to you. But we can learn from what has been written in earlier times. We can learn not to make the same mistakes that other nations made in terms of their interaction with God and with Israel. But we can also learn something about God. And let me just say this, that when you study the Word of God, your primary um, goal should not be that I pulled one or two life application points. That's certainly part of the benefit of most of Scripture. 
But the question that we should be asking is, what did I learn about the Lord? What did I learn about his holiness? What did I learn about what he's done in history? All scripture is inspired by God. And so there are lessons to be learned from all of it. You might want to look afresh at Romans 15 that tells us that we learn from what was written in earlier times. And one of the goals of of that learning is to avoid personal mistakes that others made and really to learn more about who God is and how we walk with him. So that's the benefit of these prophecies as we move through the book of Isaiah. They're all there for a reason, and they're going to help us navigate our walk with the Lord. Well, how's the year treating you so far? How you how are you doing just in your walk with Jesus Christ? Um, you might ask the question, I'll ask you the question, how did today, today's teaching impact you? Well, if you need someone to talk to, someone to pray with, we have pastors available Tuesday through Friday here at Living Truth Christian Fellowship, where I serve as senior pastor. You can call a number I'm about to give. You can talk to a pastor. You can pray with us uh, if you have a question or you need some help navigating your Christian walk. We're here for you at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH, Tuesday through Friday during normal business hours, nine to four. And if you would prefer to send us an email, reach out to us at contact at walkintruth.com. That's contact at walkintruth.com. Well, we're jumping into part two and Isaiah 17 tomorrow. Looking forward to it. I want to encourage you to be here, to be in prayer and to keep growing in your walk with the Lord. God bless you. We're so glad you're with us on the journey through Isaiah. We'll catch you tomorrow. And join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael Lance's teaching in Isaiah chapter 17 called The Oracle Concerning Damascus. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people. 